Our scripture reading for today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. The gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for sending Jesus into the world. Give us your spirit today that we might fully choose Jesus, that we might recognize him as Messiah, as Savior, as Lord, and follow him. Lord, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Well, no self-respecting first, first century Jew would have been caught dead in Caesarea Philippi. It was the definition of unclean. No Jew would want to be there. Uh, first off, it was a Gentile city. Uh, just by being Gentile, it was unclean. And so most Jews would avoid it. Very often in the first century, Jews would live their whole lives, maybe even in their own community, but if possible, definitely within their own nation. To leave it would be to defile themselves. So Jews wouldn't go to Caesarea Philippi because it was Gentile. But worse than that, it was named for Philip the Tetrarch. Uh, he was ruler of the time, and Philip had been deified. He was considered to be a god, and so they were going to a Gentile city of a false god. If they paid for anything there, they would have used the money of Caesarea Philippi, which the, the coins had an image of Philip on them. It would have been a graven image, a direct disregard for the Ten Commandments. And so no Jew would want to be in a Gentile city dedicated to a false god. Worse than that, uh, the Grotto of Pan is there, a cave that was dedicated to the worship of the Greek god Pan. Uh, there were graven images all around honoring Pan and other gods, in fact. In fact, before it was Caesarea Philippi, it was Caesarea Panius in honor of the Greek god Pan. The place was absolutely saturated with pagan worship. So no Jew wanted to be a part of that. And yet Jesus led the disciples there anyway. He took them into a very uncomfortable, very foreign situation uh, for a very specific purpose. He had a point to make in spite of the cost that it would bring to his disciples. You see, by going to a Gentile city, any Gentile city, they were considered ritually unclean. They were impure after going there, and they had to become pure again before they could enter into the faith life back home in, in Israel. Now that involved more than just a simple prayer of confession. They, they couldn't just say, I'm sorry about that God, as they walked across the border. There was a routine that they had to go through, a cleansing process. It might take a week 
So for that time period, they would have been cut off from the faith community back home. And understand that in first century Israel, the only community was faith community. It's not like they could go to the non-faith activities. There were none. If you were unclean, if you were ceremonial or ritually unclean, you were cut off. You were outcast from your community for a period of time. And still Jesus takes the disciples across into unclean territory because of the significance of the point he wanted to make. The disciples would have been uncomfortable in any unclean city. I can't imagine what they felt like as they walked past the graven images in Caesarea. As they saw the idols that, that were all around. I know that in the opportunities I've had to visit New Orleans, when we're walking downtown, just when I walk past a voodoo shop, I kind of feel a little weird. I feel like I don't quite belong there. I kind of scoot on past that part of the sidewalk sometimes. It feels odd to be in the presence of something like that. But if that pales in comparison to what those disciples would have felt in this strange pagan region, with those pagan gods as a backdrop, Jesus asked the question, who do you say that I am? Jesus uses the opportunity of these pagan gods. He uses that backdrop to offer a contrast to the disciples and to us. Will the disciples choose the gods of this world, the gods that they can see, the gods that they can handle, or will they choose the living God? You know, that's the same question that we still live with today. We still live in a pagan world, and we still have the choice to make. Which God will we serve? Uh, right now in 2020, in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, which God will we serve? Now, this is normally the time in a sermon when the preacher starts talking about the false gods of wealth, of power, of fame, of popularity. And to be sure, all of those take on godlike qualities for us. Uh, many of us will sacrifice almost everything to acquire those things. Often those things, our wealth or our popularity, are the things that we turn to in difficult times. And so, to be very clear, those things can be false gods in our lives. But I suspect in our culture that perhaps the biggest false god is self. We have a tendency in our time to worship ourselves, to worship our own desires, to put our goals and our wishes first and foremost above all else. I even hear preachers preaching messages like that sometimes where messages are crafted to convey the idea to us that God exists to make us happy, that God exists to do all sorts of good stuff in our lives. And in essence, God works for us. One particular story that I heard in person from a preacher, I've shared it before, but it's such, such an important point. I go back to it briefly. <clears throat> Excuse me. I, I heard a preacher over in Georgia uh, in a small group I was in where he was, he made the statement that when he and his wife were driving into downtown Atlanta, that on the way in, they would pray for a parking space right in front of the building where they were going. That they would name it and they would claim it. And when they got to Atlanta, God always provided them a parking space. I couldn't help but wonder what God did to the poor guy's car that was parked there ahead of him. And now the preacher did go on to say, sometimes we have to circle the block two or three times. But God always provides the parking space. <clears throat> well, uh, hopefully you see 
And that sadly true example that we create idols that serve us. When we have reduced the God of the universe to a parking attendant, we have probably slipped into idolatry. We have created God in our own image. And so I would suggest to you that in our times, the, the, <clears throat> the cultural religion of our time is all about me. We dare defend our rights, but do we dare take responsibility for our brothers and sisters? We want everything we've got coming, we think, but are we just as quick to take care that everybody else is well cared for? Are we willing to love the other one? Are we willing to love those that are different from us, even sacrificially? The answer to that question will tell us a lot about who we really worship. Is it about, is it about us? Or is it about a God who calls us to more than that? Well, Peter spoke up. He looked around at the gods that were, the false gods that were all around. And he looked at Jesus. And he said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus wasn't fooled by those images. He wasn't deceived by the false gods. He recognized something in Jesus that was different from all of those man-made gods that were there in Caesarea. He realized a different quality in Jesus. And he chose Jesus. Who will we choose? Who will we choose in our time, in our place? Will we choose ourselves, our own selfish desires? Will we choose to serve us first? Will we put us above everything else? Well, I choose Jesus. I choose the God who created me. I choose the Jesus who came and became like us, who suffered for me and suffers with me. That's who I choose. And i got to be honest with you, I fail far too often. I, I disappoint at trying to follow him far too often. I fall short, but still, I choose Jesus. Because in him, in him I find a peace and a love that I find nowhere else in the world. It's, in that, it's that relationship with Christ that enables me to love other people in a way I wouldn't do on my own. So I choose Jesus. And for all of us who choose Jesus, for all of us who make that choice, there's an incredible promise that comes with this passage. Jesus says to the disciples who have chosen him, he says to all of us disciples who choose him, the gates of hell will not prevail against you. Now, I want to remind you that the gates in the first century are to protect whatever they're around. The gates of the city of Jerusalem protect the city of Jerusalem from invaders. The gates of hell protect hell from hell's enemies, from hell's invaders. And Jesus makes his promise to those of us who have faith in him, the gates of hell will not keep us out. He said the gates of hell are not to protect us from something bad happening to us. The gates of hell are to try to protect hell from the positive influence of the gospel. And Jesus says the gates of hell themselves 
will not hold back the church. We've got the incredible opportunity to invade, to kick down and crash through those gates and offer life to people who are suffering and dying. Have you ever been one of those people? Have you ever been in your own personal hell? Have you been set free? You know what that freedom's like? How good it tastes to finally get that freedom? Have you ever had the opportunity to set somebody free from hell? I don't know if there's a happier feeling in the world than to see somebody that is set free from that torture. I tell you, those are excellent reasons for me to follow Jesus. They're not the only ones, but they are excellent reasons to follow Jesus because it's him, it's Jesus that liberates us from whatever hell we're going through and allows us to liberate others. Friends, we are still living in a pagan world. Who will you serve? The selfish gods of this world are the living God who created us. I choose Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us today in our worship service. Uh, I want to give you the opportunity to connect with the church. We're glad to have you with us online. But if you'd like to connect with us in other ways, maybe to respond to the message you heard today, or to maybe find a loving church family that will support you in your Christian life. Or maybe you're just curious and you want to ask some questions. Uh, my email address is on the screen. I encourage you to respond with an email to me. And let's start a conversation that might just connect you with Christ and with Christ's family here at Forest Lake. Mm -hmm.